Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast, where we discuss the world of IT and cybersecurity. Don't be left in the dark about what's going on in the world around you. Here is your host, Joe Gray. We are currently discussing the SANS Top 20 Security Controls. SANS Institute is an acronym for System Administration Network and Security Institute. They are a giant think tank of all things information network, uh, various types of security. They started with trade shows, then they started with training, and then they came up with the Global Information Assurance Certificate Program, which is GIAC. I myself have the GIAC System and Network Auditor GSNA certification. The SANS Top 20 Critical Security Controls for Effective Cyber Defense was put together based upon what was deemed a serious problem by the federal government in 2008. They basically put together a framework that was complementary to the government framework so that private industry and government could ultimately work together to determine what the biggest problems in security are and provide an open framework that anyone could access to actually implement a better security program. It was transferred to the Council on Cybersecurity in 2013, which is an independent global nonprofit entity committed to a secure and open internet. They focus on prioritizing security functions against the latest threats, basing everything on what works in terms of products, processes, architectures, and services. Top priorities are standardization and automation, It is very complementary to the government's National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, Special Publication 853, which is the guiding light of all things government information security. I will post a link to this in the podcast page. They do not replace the NIST, but they work very well together. Now let's move on to the next four controls. Thank you for stopping by. We're going to discuss the following four topics this week. Security skills assessment and appropriate training to fill gaps. Secure configurations for network devices, including firewalls, routers, and switches. Limitation and control of network ports, protocols, and services. And controlled use of administrative privileges. Let's kick this off with security skills assessment and appropriate training to fill gaps. This is a critical control. It's a very quick win. Advanced Persistent Security can help you with this. I'll get to that in just a moment. But here is the control in itself. You perform gap analysis to determine which skills are required to do the jobs that employees are assigned to do and which behaviors employees are not adhering to. You use that to build a baseline training and awareness roadmap for all employees. For example, With us, if we're helping you come up with a training plan, we will encourage you to mandate a specific training baseline for all employees to include usually just a cybersecurity awareness training course and maybe insider threat. Then we will layer on smartphones for employees issued smartphones or if they use smartphones to connect to the organization. Then next, implement privileged user training And then from there, any other specialized training such as phishing or anything along those lines that would actually help the employee be successful and make it a little bit easier for them to adhere to the 
standards. You should deliver training to fill the skills gap. Obviously having the baseline is wonderful, but if you don't implement it, it's useless. You should either have someone from the inside deliver training or someone from the outside like Advanced Persistent Security. I myself teach part-time at a college. I am a professor. I have a master's degree working on a doctorate and several industry certifications to include CISSP, ISSMP, and GSNA. That makes it easy for credibility and I can provide real world scenarios and things I've seen in the field to really hit home with the employees so that it's not just another quote unquote death by PowerPoint scenario. Next, you should implement an online security awareness program that focuses on methods commonly used in intrusions that can be blocked through individual actions. Then you must deliver it in short online modules and update it annually, maybe quarterly, and you have to say all employees must complete it. And of course, you monitor to make sure employees complete it. If they don't complete it, then at that point, you bring management into the equation for punitive action or whatever you, you require. Next, you should validate and improve awareness through periodic tests. For example, to evaluate your employee's ability to spot, respond to, and protect the organization against phishing, you may want to attempt some phishing, attempt, some phishing attacks. You should send emails and try to get them to click the link or download the, the document or whatever it is, or even make phone calls. Either way, you should do this. Advanced Persistent Security can do it for you. And the only thing that should be required for the attacker, be it internal or advanced persistent security, is authorization in writing, delineating the scope, the period for which you can complete the testing, who's going to do the testing, what's allowed and what is not. Basically, the same type of rules of engagement document that you require for any sort of penetration test or any security testing. The final part of this is you use a security skills assessment for each of the mission critical roles to identify gaps. You can use hands-on real-world examples to measure mastery. You can find online competitions for, say, capture the flag or coding or whatever, and just do it to baseline where your employees are so that you know where they need to be trained. The easiest way to find out where they need to be trained is to test them. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be discussing secure configuration for network devices to include firewalls, routers, and switches. Are you looking for a place to advertise to the unique audience of IT security professionals and enthusiasts? Look no further. Advanced Persistent Security is seeking sponsors. This slot could be yours. Contact sales at advancedpersistentsecurity.net for more information. Thanks for sticking around. Now we will discuss secure configuration for network devices such as firewalls, routers, and switches. First and foremost, this is one of the more technical ways for an attacker to get in. Technology doesn't fail, configurations do. So with that being said, let's take a look at the first control. It is compare firewall, router, and switch configuration against standard secure configurations defined for each type of device in the organization should be documented, reviewed, and approved by Organization Change Control Board. Any deviations from this configuration should be documented and approved in the change control system. You can get these standards that are mentioned from the Center for Internet Security, 
from the Department of Defense, the STIGs, Security Technical Implementation Guides, and the NIST checklists. Next, all new configuration rules beyond a baseline hardened configuration that allow traffic to flow through network security devices, firewalls, IDS, IPS should be documented and recorded in a configuration management system with specific reasoning for each, the name responsible and the business need and any duration. It all should be listed. This is all part of basic configuration management. Next, you should use automated tools such as a vulnerability scanner like Nessus or the router audit tool or SCAP to verify this. It, all alterations to files should be automatically reported to security personnel. Next, you should always ma manage network devices using two-factor authentication and encrypted sessions. So no telnet, you use SSH or any secure method. You should always install the latest stable version of any security-related update. And finally, manage the network infrastructure across network connections that are separated from the business use of that network relying on separate VLANs or preferably on different physical connectivity for management sessions for network devices. So if you have a router that's operating on, say, a 10.x network, you could easily use a 192.168 network for the management of it so it's on a separate network. If not, then you can use VLANs and put it on say 192.168.1 for management, 192.168.2 for traffic. Advanced Persistent Security can help you come up with the rules, we can help you with the audit, we can help you with developing the plan, coming up with the configuration management system, and we can help you with the configuration. Email sales at advanced persistent security with any questions. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we will discuss limitation and control of network ports, protocols, and services. Are you subscribed to this podcast? If not, please do so on iTunes and at advancedpersistentsecurity.net slash podcast. Welcome back. Now we are going to discuss limitation and control of network ports, protocols, and services. A lot of these are quick wins. They're fairly easy to do, and then it gets a little bit more challenging. So to kick it off, first and foremost, you ensure that only ports, protocols, and services with validated business needs are running. If you don't have any Windows machines in your network, which is highly improbable, you should probably not have port 445 open. Next, you should apply host-based firewalls or port filtering tools on end systems with a default deny rule that drops everything except those that are explicitly allowed. Very common with regards to secure configurations for networking, you should always have an implicit deny, which is the default deny. Next, you should perform automated port scans on a regular basis against all key servers and compare them to a baseline. If a change is not listed in the baseline, an alert should be generated and reviewed. An easy way to do this is you install Nmap on a specific server and then you run it as a cron job periodically and then you script it to perform diff analysis and if there's any changes, you can script it to notify you. Next, you should keep all services up to date and install and remove any unnecessary components from the system. You should do this before the system is deployed, but then it also goes into 
control number four for continuous vulnerability assessment and remediation because outdated services are vulnerabilities. You must remediate them. Next, verify any server that is visible from the internet or on an untrusted network. And if it's not required, move it to an internal VLAN and give it a private address. If it is required, harden it, harden it, harden it. Next, operate critical services on separate physical or logical host machines such as DNS, file servers, mail, web servers, database. This allows a level of redundancy, a level of complexity so that it's harder for an attacker to get in and actually cause some damage. They may have to jump from, say, a DNS server to a web server or vice versa, depending on how they got in. Finally, the last one, place application firewalls in front of any critical servers to verify and validate the traffic going in. Anything that is unauthorized should be blocked and an alert generated. This is very common with web application firewalls. They are not that difficult to write in Python. You can deploy it and it will definitely meet this control as long as it is configured correctly. You should also review that configuration periodically just to make sure that it still captures the essence and needs of your business. We're going to take our final break and when we come back we will discuss the biggest control of this set. It is controlled use of administrative privileges. Don't forget to check out our blog at advancedpersistentsecurity.net slash blog. Follow us on Twitter at ADV Persistent SEC and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash advanced persistent security. Thanks for hanging around. This is the final segment. This is controlled use of administrative privileges. Most of these are quick wins. The first one is actually one of the first five and everything else is pretty easy as well. First, you should minimize administrative privileges and only use those accounts when they are required. Implement focused auditing on the use of administrative privileged functions and monitor for anomalous behavior. For example, if you have a user with administrative privileges that works nine to five, is never on call and never has a need to log in after say 10 p.m. and you see a lot of connections around midnight to 2 a.m. using that account, that's probably worth looking at. The user could be up to something that's no good or the account could be compromised or it could be something as simple as they have a job running as that administrator at that time. Next, use automated tools to inventory all administrative accounts and validate each person with privileges on desktops, laptops, and servers is authorized by someone at the top, a senior executive, program manager, etc. Next, configure all administrative passwords to be complex and contain letters, numbers, and special characters intermixed with no dictionary words present in the password. Passphrases containing multiple dictionary words with special characters are acceptable as long as they are long enough. I agree with this for administrators, but I say that it should be the same for regular users as well. My primary experience in organizations is within the federal sector, and the requirements there dictate a 15-character password with numbers, letters, special characters, uppercase, lowercase letters at that, intermixed, the same thing as described. They cannot have more than three sequential characters, such as 123 or ABC or AAA, BBB. They are only acceptable for 60 days. You cannot recycle the same password in a 24 password cycle, so effectively four years. 
and the password must be in place for one day and your lockout threshold is three failed attempts after that an administrator must unlock you next before deploying any new net any new devices in a networked environment change all default passwords for applications operating systems routers firewalls wireless access points and other systems to make sure that the passwords meet complexity requirements for one and for two to make sure that that Linksys router or your 5500 series Cisco ASA is not using the default password that an attacker can conduct a very easy internet search using Google and find the password. Next, passwords should be hashed and encrypted in storage. Passwords that are hashed should be salted and follow guidance in NIST special publication 800-132 or similar guidance. Files containing these Encrypted or hashed passwords required should be readable only with super user privileges, administrator. You should ensure all service accounts have long and difficult to guess passwords that are periodically changed as is done for every other type of password. Next, you should implement access control list to ensure that administrative accounts are only used for administrative activities and not for email, writing documents, or surfing the internet. Web browsers and emails must be configured to never run as an administrator. There are instances when you may need a web browser as an administrator. If you are logging into a specific machine and you have to download the updates for it, that would be an acceptable deviation from that. Next, through policy and user awareness, require that administrators establish unique different passwords for their administrative and non-administrative accounts. Each person with administrative access should be given a separate account. Users should only use the administrator or root accounts in emergency situations and domain administration accounts should be used when required for system administration instead of local admin accounts. Next, you should configure operating systems so that passwords cannot be reused in a time frame of six months. That can vary from one set of guidance to another. Next, configure systems to issue a log entry and alert when an account is added or removed from a domain administrator's group and when a new local administrator group, I'm sorry, a new local administrator account is added. You should configure systems to issue a log entry and alert when unsuccessful login to an administrative account is attempted. Use multi-factor authentication for all administrative access, including domain administrative access. Multi-factor authentication can include a variety of techniques, which would be smart cards with certificates, one-time passwords, tokens, biometrics, etc. When using certificates to enable multi-factor certificate-based authentication, ensure that the private keys are protected using strong passwords or are stored in trusted secure hardware tokens. Finally, block access to a machine, either remotely or locally, for administrator-level accounts. Instead, administrators should be required to access a system using a fully logged on and non-administrative account. Then once they are logged in, they should have to elevate. That would be sudo in the Linux world or run as in Windows, just to make sure that the user would use their own administrative account and enter a password each time. That makes them have to think about it, and honestly, that is a good practice. That's it for this episode of the SANS Top 20. We've covered controls 9 through 12. Next week, we will discuss numbers 13 through 16 to include boundary defense, 
maintenance, monitoring, and analysis of audit logs, controlled access based on the need to know, account monitoring and control. We will have one more week after that, and then we will shift to the OWASP top 10. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star rating and love us on iTunes. I also want to remind you that Advanced Persistent Security is now offering various security services to include policy writing, product implementation, vulnerability management, awareness training, and we are also doing a thing called the Awareness Newsletter, which will allow an organization to subscribe and either download or we will send it to the organization a security awareness poster and then tidbits to email out throughout the month to all employees to keep them aware. The rate for this on a month-to-month basis is $40. It is $300 annually. Also, I would like to encourage you to come to our website and sign up for the reading room. It is absolutely free. We will not be charging for it. Right now, we have academic papers in it. We will also be putting our white papers and any case studies we do in there. After the completion of the SANS Top 20, we will probably do a white paper about the SANS Top 20 and have it there. So go and subscribe. It'll be very valuable to you in the near future. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. Until next time, stay secure and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.